0: This episode contains mentions of sexual harassment and abuse. While there's nothing explicit, it could be triggering for some. It's okay if you need to skip this one. Do what's right for you. This is Unsilent, a speak series from No Stigmas that champions mental health advocacy and challenges the stigmas that prevent people from getting the help they need. I'm Eli Lawson, a producer for the show. This week, No Stigmas Lanceboard alone will be having a conversation with Lindsay, a former actress turned doula. We'll hear about sexual harassment in the workplace and the damaging effects of having your body image tied to your value. But we'll also see how impactful it is to find your support and lean into the changes that will better your mental health. Thank you for being here. If you want to learn more or contact us, visit NoStigmas.org. Don't face it alone. Be unsilent.
1: Let's jump right in. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you'd like to share with us today?
2: Yeah. uh, So my name is Lindsay Moore. I am a doula and a communication specialist. Um, What I'd really love to dive into with you today is talking about ways that we can sort of harness traumatic or difficult things that have happened to us uh, and really turn into like pain with a purpose. Like, what do you do with it? We can't obviously control when bad things do happen but we, I believe, really can control what we choose to do with it after the fact. Um, You know, I think something I feel really strongly about um, in my family, There's everyone loves the saying, you know, it builds character. Something bad happens to you, like, oh, it builds character. For me, I'm like, if you decide to run a 10K and training is difficult, like that builds character. If something truly traumatic has happened to you, that in and of itself, I don't think that's the thing that builds character. I think how mm-hmm. you choose to heal and move forward from it is the thing that builds the character. Like bad things happen, and it's just completely unfair, and it shouldn't, and yeah. it's not right. And this, the bad thing, isn't what makes you strong. It's you. It's who you are. Right. And um, yeah. and how to and how do we get there? And what does that look like? Is something that's um, really really interesting to me, both personally and professionally.
1: So what was something that comes to the surface whenever we talk about this pain to purpose, like what was a a trigger or something that came up for you um, in your life or your career? Yeah.
2: Um, The way that I kind of see the path with it um, for me is that first I got into the arts as a way to help heal from, you know, undiagnosed mental health issues and substance use issues, codependent patterns that were happening in my family of origin um, from the time I was really, really young. And, I think I got into the arts at a really young age as a way to sort of maybe escape at first, but then to start also kind of like processing and having an outlet for these really big emotions that didn't have a place at home. Um, And so that looked like, you know, acting, modeling, dance, music, like all of these things um, just as a way to kind of find an outlet for those. Um, And that was incredibly helpful and I think really helped me get through some really difficult years when I was younger where it started to take a little bit of a turn. Um, (laughs) And you know, I know obviously you have a background as well in theater and Mm -hmm. film and things. So I think this will maybe resonate with you. (laughs) Um, That has a dark side, especially as you get older as a little girl. And I think from a very young age, um, I was lucky to have some really, really positive and supportive mentors, but that's just an industry in which you are really commodified by your body. Um, Even if it's not sexually when you're a kid, it's still like, you know, watch your weight, don't change your hair without asking your agent, like all of these things that just really sink into you at a young age. And you start to learn that your value is tied to what you look like. And as you get older, that starts becoming more and more explicitly sexual. And I think, you know, kind of combined with stuff that was going on with my family and in my personal life, um, it ended up all getting really messy. And I think I started like seeking out relationships that were really destructive and damaging. Um, abusive in some situations. Um, You know, as I got older, I ended up um, becoming married to somebody that, you know, struggled with substance use and became physically abusive. And it's hard not to see the direct correlation around that, you know, Um, particularly though, like I get asked quite a lot, Um, you know, as I said, I'm a doula now, I used to be an actor for many, many years. Mm Um, I used to live in LA and work in TV and film and I get asked a lot like, oh, you know, why did you stop that? Um, and that to me is a difficult question to answer. Um, because it's, it's still loaded. And honestly, like even now chatting with you, like it's, it's hard to find the way into it. I think, Mm -hmm. um, there's so many little micro moments of, you know, being on set and hearing a crew member make a comment about your body or, you know, the costume designer making a comment about your size or things like that. Like it starts to get really complicated. Um, there are a few experiences that I had in LA that I think really directly contributed. The biggest for me really was um, I was working, I, listen, I'm the first to say, I was super lucky. I moved to LA and I started working pretty um, pretty shortly after I moved on um, a network TV show. It was awesome. It was a huge set. I loved the people that I worked with. Um, And, you know, it was good money. It was Mm -hmm. fun to like go on to like this fancy studio lot and feel like you were like a real actor. It was like, it's exciting. And, um, and I think I was a little bit unprepared, honestly. Um, At first it was a lot of fun. And, you know, as you know, it's probably similar to like being on tour or something like Mm -hmm. that. You do spend all of your time with these people. You don't see your family or your partner or your dog or whatever, like, this becomes your family. Um, and it's just so almost like in a summer camp way, but darker, like <laughs> <laughs> but darker, <laughs> but darker. Um, and every set, every production, whatever it's like, everything has its own little political ecosystem. And what started to become clear to me was that, um, from the top down. I mean, we had an EP who liked to sort of like rule by fear. You know, he would come into a set of hundreds of people and just start screaming at people. It did not matter if you were an extra, uh, production assistant, if you were one of the lead actors. Like it didn't matter. He had no problem like just screaming and berating people for any little thing. Um, and that really created this culture um, of a lot of fear and a lot of um, certainly abusive language of of disrespect of not treating people like humans. Um, you know, and so when you're also isolated just with that group of people for a long period of time, um, and you don't really have a chance to get home and process and normalize that and say, Oh my gosh, this thing like happened at work today. I don't really know what to make of that. Like there isn't that opportunity. You just go home, sleep and come back and you're right back in it. Um, and it just becomes the fear becomes so ingrained in you. And I think on this particular um, on this particular show, there was definitely like all of the leadership was male, all of it. And I don't mean to make this gender because certainly, certainly men experience this as well. But in my yeah. particular case, um, everybody was like sexualizing <laughs> sexualizing the women on set, you know. And there were so many wonderful people, and so I don't mean to make sweeping generalizations. Um, but I think when at the highest level, you know, people on the production, the writing, the directing teams um, feel that they don't need to treat everybody there like they're the same level of human. Um, it's okay to use threats and fear. Um, if you don't like the way that something's going, it's really natural that that ends up becoming sexual harassment, you know? And so, um, and I certainly was not the only person on set that experienced this, but um, there was one particular, um, member of the, the writing and production team who, um, got really aggressive with it. And, you know, it's hard to explain it without getting into like really explicit details, but, um, I think I can safely say like, the I was a doctor, um, at an ER in LA, uh, which is how he had gotten pulled onto the show and had no qualms, like kind of coming in and, being really overly touchy feely at first and sort of just like sharing like little anecdotes or like showing a photo. I mean, talk about violating <laughs> like HIPAA laws, right? Of like, oh, you know, I was at the ER and this guy came in with this thing that had happened during sex and whatever. And it's like, at first you're like, is this a funny story? Are you trying to test me in some way? Like, what is this? But also there's such, as you know, in, in theater and in film, there's such a power dynamic and such a hierarchy. I
1: was just gonna say, it sounded like he was in a, it was there was definitely a power dynamic
2: oh oh yeah oh yeah and it was made really clear early on also that like anybody is replaceable I mean some of like one of the the series leads was like gone after a little while because like she wasn't like playing ball with like the kind of culture that was going on um so there was just this incredible fear that I think ran under so many interactions where it's like, you're not allowed to say no to things or you are allowed to say no, but like you, your job is literally at stake. Because there would be um, massive
1: consequences.
2: Right, exactly. And so, and also, like I said, it's, and it, you become part of this culture as well. So it just becomes conditioned. It's like, and this is really normal and you're being difficult and you're not playing ball. Um, and it starts to really, and I think certainly experiences that I had when I was younger and on other sets as well, played into this as well. Um, you start to feel really worthless. You start to feel like, oh, well, is my acting or you know, is my work actually good and valuable, or do you have an agenda? Are you trying to sleep with me? Mm. Um, what is this? If I say no, you know, I have to be so careful to protect egos and feelings, or else my job could literally, like, my livelihood could be at stake. Um, and listen, I actually will give people the benefit of the doubt in a lot of situations. That it's not like somebody sat up at night and was like, hmm, you know, how can I? Mm -hmm. manipulate or, or damage somebody else. Like, I don't think it's that conscious. I think it was just so pervasive. Um, but the result is it starts, what I, what I really think about when I reflect on that is it ate away at my self-worth to such an extent, like I no longer trusted myself. It really eroded that sense of, can I even trust my own judgment? And that's actually the thing that makes me the angriest when I think about that. Um, wow. And ultimately the terrible thing is that, um, some of us did lose our jobs over it. You know, it was just sort of the decision was made was just like, this is too much of a liability. This whole situation, like other people on set saw it going on. They knew about it. And I think another challenge with that was that it's like, if you aren't in it, you haven't experienced it firsthand. It can just look like special treatment.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And so then there's this mm-hmm. whole other layer of people like, I don't want to say jealousy, but um, yeah, but I think misperception. Right. You know, um, and. There was a lot of that, and yeah, a number of us just ended up not being asked back to the show over it, and it was incredibly difficult and scary to, I know, after a couple of seasons, find yourself expecting to start production up again and finding out, in fact, no. Um, Mm -hmm. That was the summer of, I want to say 2017, um, which was just a couple months shy of when the Me Too movement hit. Oh, wow. And... I think about that sometimes, like, I wonder if the situation would have been handled differently by the studio had this all happened several months later when there's a Mm -hmm. lot more media attention Mm -hmm. and a lot more, honestly, fear on their end around Mm -hmm. reprisal from the media. Um, We'll never know. I mean, Mm I moved on. um, But I will say that a couple months later when the media attention was getting much higher and this particular person that I had had the issue with... um, somebody talked to somebody and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden I had, you know, reporters finding my personal cell phone number calling me up. They had an enormous amount of personal information on me. It was like, it was truly one of the most invasive experiences I've ever had. Um, So not just asking me about specifically what had happened on that production, but about my history, you know, and it freaked me out truly. And it made me really angry. Um, It was, I think at that point that I decided I need to make a change here. This isn't working for me. You know, I need to heal. I need to build that self trust and confidence. The culture of this whole situation has made me stop loving something I've loved my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and the price tag is no longer worth it to me.
1: Can I ask you if what was the timeline between you mentioned early on, like this 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 uh, marriage or this mm-hmm. relationship, and then this all of this career activity? What was the timeline between those those things? are they happening I mean, at the same time or in was... some
2: ways they were happening at the same time. I mean, cause I was acting throughout all of it. I think, okay. um, my marriage was relatively brief. It was about 10 years ago. Um, and then after that was over, mm-hmm. I moved to Los Angeles. Um, oh, I see. Okay. And so I think I would say then it just ramped up. Um, I'd say the harassment ramped up as my acting career did as well. Yeah.
1: Right. Uh, did you feel, so did you feel that you were going into, into this industry? You mentioned like not, being ready did you feel that you weren't ready because you no one taught you in, in your training to, <laughs> to, have to put up with a culture of harassment I mean did you
2: I think I mean listen I went to art school and I loved it so much and I think they taught you how to be an actor really well but there's a lot of things about the business that weren't covered um I think part of it was because I had been in that world since such a young age it was I just, I didn't, I literally didn't know that there was a different way. Mm. You know, um, I'm, you can't tell cause you can only see my face right now, but I'm about seven months pregnant. And it's been a really interesting journey to kind of heal and unlearn some of those residual things around like your body and understanding, um, the feeling of powerlessness and not having agency over your own body and not being able to make decisions for yourself, um, as an in in an acting capacity, right? Like right. Um, being judged and commodified like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, my body's doing things like I have no control over. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's actually really, really wonderful, but it's still hard to say, release those old scripts. So that's just to say that I think um, the idea that my body was just something that was of value to other people, like sexuality mm-hmm. was something that was like, seen as an asset more so than who I was as a person right um that was something that I just accepted at face value and literally Mm -hmm. did not know that there was another way Mm -hmm. um I don't know if I'm answering your question yeah no I was just
1: (laughs) no no, I was just interested to see like if if what is the where did the personal journey cross with the professional journey and then what was that residual effect compounded you know because if you're yeah Coming into an industry and you're already sort of like, I don't know, I kind of have doubts in yeah. myself, and then you're put into an environment where people are just pushing those buttons. It's like, does it just do you erode? You know, any chance you had it, yeah, at and not I, internalizing some of this stuff.
2: I hear, yes, a hundred percent. And I think that was for me the break of saying like, the price tag is is too high for this. I need right. to make a change. Um, that's why because I started to realize like, I don't know what the other thing is, but there has to be something that's not this. Like oh, yeah. a lifetime of fighting so hard to try to find a sense of self-confidence and worth and value in who I am as a person. I mean, my mental health was in in shambles, just struggling so, so hard with anxiety, depression, you know, panic attacks, um, some like PTSD stuff from sexual assaults that had happened when I was younger. Like there was just there was so much and I felt so unprepared to deal with it. You know, and I did have a therapist and there and I was not as diligent as I should have been, I think, with keeping up with a lot of those tools. But um, I just, I didn't know what the other thing was. I just knew it had to be something better than than that. Right. And Okay. So we're um,
1: 2017. That's that's where your head is. What happens <laughs> next? Like, yep. where did you take yourself?
2: Um, so I'm unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> <the case>, okay. <laughs> my um, uh, Yeah. So baked a lot of bread. Uh I just, I was feeling this strong pull to say, listen, I'm a huge believer that art does help heal. Art does connect us. Art is a service that we can provide. Like our creativity is a gift that we can give. So there is no part of me that does not still believe that. And I was looking for a more tangible, more direct way to help other people because I felt this inside me that like, when I was hurting so badly, something that would really help is feeling like I could help other people. And I was feeling like, that purpose was no longer in film and tv for me it was something else and so Mm -hmm. i started looking for this um (laughs) completely random very woo woo but like you know i had this dream and i woke up in the morning and said i know what i want to do i want to be a doula i had never attended a birth before i had not been pregnant i like i had no experience with this whatsoever um but i just said i just know i just had this dream and this is what i meant to do <clears throat> and I know, like I said, I know it sounds a little bit out there, but for me, like the mm. conviction was so strong. Um, I, yeah.
1: I mean, who's the question? Yeah. Thank you.
2: and also Some people wish they would have someone, I, something never, come to them in a
1: dream.
2: Well, because I had never questioned what my purpose and my goals were, right? From the time yeah. I was like six years old, it was like, it's acting. Mm. Um, so there was definitely the sense of feeling a little bit lost when I said, well, maybe it's not. Oh my gosh. Um, I woke up and I thought, hey, what a gift. Um, mm-hmm. it's just been like presented to me of just like, awesome. know, here's, here's a new goal. Here's a new dream. Um, and, and I did know, and I knew that at that point it was time for me to leave Los Angeles, um, at least for that period of time, um, to just really do a lot of healing and to sort of figure out what that path looked like. Um, I ended up moving uh, back to Chicago where I'd gone to undergrad, um, and I had some kind of community. I ended up finding a job that turned into a permanent job. I did my doula training. I started working with women um, and families. I started volunteering with some uh, with a local hospice and sitting with people as they were passing. Um, and I was just finding so much joy and purpose in being able to help people in that way. You know, in in sort of a tangible one to one way, as opposed to like the sort of like greater mm-hmm. community healing that I think can come from um, from art in some capacity and. And I did find ways to still create things, you know, I had a lot of friends in the film industry, so I was able to partner up um, and produce um, like a film about gun violence in schools. Um, That was really meaningful as well. So I think like trying to find ways to channel that into how can I use this less about like, it's not going to look the way I thought it was going to look, but how can I still use these skills? How can I use skills like empathy, resilience, uh being able to stay up all night. <laughs> um <things like> really <laughs> working in film. <laughs> um and, and use them in different ways and repurpose them. And to be honest with you, I think that's something like I'm still working through in a lot of ways. Um, you know, the other thing that's become really interesting to me uh is is community healing, right? Um and I think we see this a lot when it comes to healing, like uh, racial injustice issues, particularly in schools, there's been some really interesting studies done about the effect of like community healing um, in terms of like, if you can change a policy, that's a a huge way to feel like you can have some power back in a situation and you can um, help heal some of those wounds together. I think another way that that can look is peer support. You know, I think that's something that I really love about No Stigmas is the ability to share your story. I mean, By nature, I'm a private person, like even sharing this level of detail feels (laughs) a little bit vulnerable and scary for me. Um, But what I've found is that the more I can talk about difficult things that have happened, whether it's an abusive relationship, a sexual assault, um, family origin trauma, stuff that happened that I've described here, like sexual harassment or problems at work, things, whatever it is, what I've discovered is when I am able to disclose in a way that feels safe, Um, with the right person that, you know, I feel like there's trust there and all of those parameters that make sharing safe. Um, When I'm able to share, I have always been met with such kindness and I have felt so much peace after it. And I think like also what makes me sad, but also um, I think builds so much wonderful connection is the number of times I've heard me too from Uh other people, you know, from girlfriends, from coworkers, from whatever, when you are able to open up and share and make that first leap. The number of times I've heard, Oh my God, that happened to me too. Or, Oh my God, I've been there. I know. Um, Like that's actually the thing that gets me the most. And that's the thing that galvanizes me the most to want to make things better for other people and want to make things better for like the younger version of myself, (laughs) you know, it's like, yeah.
1: What would you, um, I guess what would you say just kind of going in that direction what would you say to people who you know maybe are listening who aren't from a film background or or maybe who work in an office or work in other situations like what advice would you give to them to those women you know or to those people who feel that they're for various reasons aren't able to function I mean they're taking like their job is changing who they are how they see themselves and then that deteriorates who they are I mean what would you say to those people because you changed your career I mean you you geographically relocated (laughs) and you said bye and you you know but well
2: and listen there's part of me that thinks like it was a gift that I found myself unemployed in that situation, you know, and I was able to, without feeling like a big sacrifice, say, Mm. I'm going to make a big change. Not everyone has that luxury, you know, at the time, like wasn't married, didn't have a family. It was, it was just me and the dog, you know? Mm. Um, so in some ways, uh, by kind of like having nothing almost, um, I was able to feel a little bit freer and I completely understand not everyone feels that way. Um, I think the biggest thing that helped me, um, it wasn't the move, you know, I don't even know that if it was like really changing jobs. I think it was, um, starting to rebuild the self-trust to say, um, like my value is not tied to what other people think of me, how other people treat me, um, or what the work that I do actually is like, Mm -hmm. that is not my worth as a human. That is not what makes me valuable and, and worthy of, um, of love and, and belonging. Um, And, mm-hmm. and it's not to say that that's easy. Again, like that's something like I still work with um, a lot and I'm still trying to heal, I think, years later from this. Um, but it's something that I think has been, um, I've seen a lot of progress in it and I've seen how powerful those small things are, right? So like for me, it was finding a therapist um, that I really connected with that was really supportive, that believed me unfailingly, mm-hmm. um, didn't try to problem solve. Um, you know, I think through a lot of that work I was able to get to a place where I you know was able to meet my now husband um, who is also incredibly supportive and did all the same things and believed in me even when I was struggling to believe in myself mm-hmm. so I would say you know finding finding your support people finding your your community that can build you up when you're having those moments of self doubt and struggling the most you know it doesn't have to be a partner it can be it can be anybody um, yeah. but I think just finding that key person that can really be your ally And say hey i've got your back i know you're having a tough day um here's what i'm going to believe in you until you can do it for yourself um that i think was really really helpful in healing and i think sharing your story in um in safe ways like identifying the people that you do trust enough to be honest with hopefully they're able to hold that gently for you um, and support you as you share what you need to share
0: if you or someone you know is experiencing a crisis please call the national suicide prevention lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org for support via live chat. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, please call 911. Other resources are linked in the show notes.
1: Beautifully said. That was beautifully said. Thank you so much for for opening up in that way. I think we... (laughs) Kind of swam to the <laughs> of that emotion for a second. What would you say if you look if you look back, um, you know, very ghost of Christmas past, like you're, outside, <laughs> you're like outside your body looking back at yourself, even five years ago? Um, I guess where did you start? Or even going back further, like as you mentioned, sort of family origin and upbringing, and all of us have this tapestry of experiences. What would you, if you were watching yourself outside of yourself, what would you kind of be like, ah, look, look, look this way, or don't say that, or don't do this, ah, oh. you know, like, what was it, what were, hap- What mm. maybe micro moments were happening that you can, you could say, wow, okay, that was a pattern, that was something that I kept doing, you know, that you could re, maybe turn a corner, or maybe you could have prevented some pain along the way, like, if you, if you looked back, is yeah. there anything that you see, or are you kind of like... I did the best I could in the moment. <laughs> I survived it.
2: I mean, listen, for me there's a lot, there's a lot of that. There's you a know? lot of saying like I think I did some things that, like I don't feel great about or that I regret or I wish I would handled things so differently. Yeah. Um I think it's really really important to say, you know, those coping mechanisms, the way that I handled that like that's not the way I would have handled it now, but I did do the best that I could yeah, with the tools important. that I had at the time and yeah. having the self-compassion to kind of like release. I honestly, I think i carried a lot of like guilt and shame for not handling situations the way that I wish of. I wish I had told this person at the time that this was happening. I wish I had spoken up for myself more. I wish there's a lot of I wishes. Yeah. Um, and I think trying to have compassion for the younger version of myself and just say, Hey, you did the best that you could. And it's okay. Cause it got you here now. Um, I think, you know, if I had a magic wand, I could go back. I think I probably would have encouraged myself to, um, to have um, some more well-rounded experiences, I would say, you know, I think like there was a period of time in high school where I was like more involved with like clubs and things like that. And, um, and had a great group of friends and, and same thing in college, you know, but I think, um, so much of that was still steeped in some version of culture that was commodifying women's bodies. And I really wish that I had, um, pushed myself more to develop like other talents and gifts, um, like, academics or I, I don't know I guess I'm struggling to come up with a good example right no, now but I think
1: but like- that's but you, you did but that's so it's it's interesting because you, you mentioned like compassion on yourself and I think there's such a a fine line between like wanting to look back just to get an understanding of how you got to the where you are without yeah. judging yourself but also to yeah. to someone but else to learn from it though <laughs> right and to someone else who's who's like you know okay this is happening to me what do I do what do I say you know it's and it's so individual yeah. but I just wondered how much of your um, outside, how much of this outside uh, influence was affecting who you were as a human, and and like where you, where maybe there were times you could have shielded yourself, you know, because you're not going to change. Unfortunately, in in some situations, you're not going to change the other party. Um, Not to say that it's right or you know, just, but just the fact that it's like Mm -hmm. okay, well, okay, I'm in this. I changed the policy. I spoke up. I did Mm -hmm. something, but I still have to be autonomous and protect myself. Don't you think? I mean, you, you want, you want to, I guess, to shield yourself from some of the,
2: well, it's interesting though. Cause as you're saying this, my gut reaction, honestly, is like, I think I certainly in the past I was independent to a fault. And I think that Mm -hmm. actually is a thing that I would want to change is that I was so convinced, like, you know, I'm strong, I can take this, I can handle this on my own. There was a lot of, I think shame masquerading as pride of saying like, I didn't want to tell people what was going on. Um, I could handle it. I was fine. And I actually wish that I wish that I had let more people in. I wish that I had developed some, some level of trust in others and trust in myself earlier on um, to let people in, because I think there were probably people in my life that like would have wanted to support and help. um, And I didn't share what was happening and, you know, did I handle it? I guess technically I did, but I think it would have been a lot easier and a lot yeah, that's less. A, but that's so good.
1: But that's so interesting that you found that in that just like, Whoa, wait a second. You know, maybe I was shielding, I was myself, shielding myself too, too much. Yeah. yeah, it's I really, interesting. I really
2: I really was. And I wish that I had reached out earlier and, um, and felt safer to be more vulnerable. I think earlier on, I think, um, particularly, you know, growing up, I think, um, it might not have been in all the places that kids typically look for it, but mm. I think that there still were um, people in my life that could have provided the support that I was looking for at that time and maybe started to build up some of those skills that when I was having difficult experiences as an adult, I, I feel like perhaps I might have been better equipped than to deal with them at that point. But I think right. that's something where it's like just because it didn't happen before or when you're younger, mm. to your point, if there are people that are experiencing that right now, um, that's really the best advice I think I would have, or my best suggestion is to, you know, really just try to identify people with whom you can share, um, and find resources to support you because like, you probably are like, you are strong enough to do it by yourself. You can, it's not a competency thing. Um, it's that you don't deserve that. (laughs) You don't Mm. deserve to have to go something difficult alone.
1: Right. Like you okay I have to muck through the mud now all by myself it's gonna yep. prove that just because you
2: can doesn't mean you should have to mm.
1: so you mentioned you opened up about um, soon being a mother Yes. Yeah. so <laughs> you get to create this wonderful bubble of influence for your child what? no pressure no pressure <laughs> isn't every, every parent's perfect um, <laughs> you have all the right answers
2: oh yeah um yeah, so what would so. you
1: I know, so what would you um if you could create this bubble for your for your future kid, like what would what would you shield them from what would you hope was not a part of our culture anymore what would you hope like let's say you have a wonderful little adorable beautiful girl and she grows up in this world and, and she says, mom, I want to be an actress.
2: And Oh, I've thought about this a lot, actually. <laughs> you know, like how would
1: you, I guess from now you're, now you're kind of, now you're into this other, this other, you yeah. know, part of your life. Like, what would you hope would be the world that she grows up in?
2: Yeah, or you he know, grows up in. this is or something really, <laughs> or that, yes. Um, <laughs> well, and you know, I, my husband, Jake, also comes from a, a film background. Um, and we've, we've talked about this, you know, and outside of, of film and acting and anything like that, um, you know, we've got a couple more months until the baby's born, but we've spent this entire pregnancy. And even before I was pregnant, um, we talk all the time about, you know, what are the, who are the parents that we want to be? What's the family culture that we want to create um, for ourselves and for our kid or future kids? Um, what do we want to give them? And what do we want to protect them from? I think it's something that uh, a lot of people who are or are becoming parents think about um, I, if I can give this kid one thing, I think it it is self-trust and the confidence to know that like they can do anything that they want to do. And I think like a lot of people that are, are in our generation, we grew up being told like, you can be whatever you want to be. Um, but it's less about, you can be something. And it's more like just who you are is enough, mm-hmm. who you are inherently, even before you're born, even right now, when you're still inside my body, who you are is more than enough to be loved, to belong, to be worthy. You don't have to do, you don't have to perform. You don't have to look a certain way, you know, just exactly the way that you were born is more than enough. I think that's the thing that like I want to instill in them because I think that that does lead to that sense of, of trust and confidence in your own self um, which leads to being able to like take risks in healthy ways and to try new things. And the, the safety and security to fail at things i think it's so important and it's something like i have a really hard time with um being bad you know it's like at, at doing something that i think i'm gonna be bad at um i like i want that for my kid i want them to just be like no i want to roller skate i don't care that i'm bad at it i love it you know yeah um whatever it is i think um you know <laughs> i really have considered this a lot like if i had a, a kid who said oh you know i I really want to go up for the school play. It's like, okay, great. I really want to be an actor. It's, I would have to support them unconditionally. Honestly, I, I really yeah. would. It would be difficult for me to swallow it down. But I think um, it's, it's not about acting or film not mm-hmm. being good. I think that it's wonderful, actually. Like I, I will always love that. You know, and there are parts yeah. of me that that miss it even to a degree. Right. Um, but I think trying to equip the kid with the tools to navigate that world in a way that they're going to be safe and healthy and have the support that they need when things get hard, um, in any career, in anything that they want. I was going to say
1: exactly. Like if you're, if you're, it could could be any industry where you just have, Where I feel like what's dangerous and it sounds like in, in, in what you're sharing is that, there was a crack in the trust that you had in yourself and your instincts and your worth. And then it was just a bunch of stuff got in there. And so if that hadn't, if that hadn't happened, or if you could have, you're not fixed it, but if you could have prevented the crack from being so big in the first place, it makes you think like how many other, you know, things like you said, yeah, we're not going to have regrets. We're not going to look back and be critical, but how many other beautiful things could have been created or prevented or damaging things could have been prevented if that crack wasn't just so wide. And so, exactly. if you give your kid like this, un—I just love that. I love like this. Un, I mean, I you saying that to me was like I just heard my. I'm like, this is what I want my mom <laughs> to have said to me. You know, and it, it took us yeah. a, know, a couple of decades, but we got there. <laughs> we got. There.
2: Um, we got. There. But I you just, know, but that's yeah.
1: the thing. It's, it's such a beautiful thing to say. Is like you are enough as you are, and. It's not what you do, which goes back to what you said when we started this, was that you felt your value is, you had been trained to think your value was what you do. Your value is how Mm -hmm. you look. Your value is- What do you
2: achieve? It's all performed. What you achieve. And, you know, like parent child versus like adult love, like in a partner situation Mm. um, or or friends or anything, it's not unconditional, right? I mean, you hope that parent child can be, and that you can have that first experience of love, be that like really safe sort of ideal version. Mm when we become adults, like it's no longer unconditional, but I do deeply believe that like it shouldn't, in no version of that, should it just be like performance and achievement based where it's right. like, if you perform, you're loved. If you achieve this, you're worthy. I love you. If you get straight A's, get the captain of the team, whatever it's like right. that in any context, I think um, really, really erodes a sense of self for any human. Um, and that's something I I want to do my very very best not to mess up with my own kid. <laughs> <We'll>
0: <laughs> I know
2: <laughs> you're. Gonna, no, I was gonna say it's,
1: it's it's a wonderful part of um, a life to make those mistakes. Like to your point, you know, you're like oh, not I'd afraid like to, to mess up
2: my kid in totally new ways. No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope I've been given the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you. <Last> um, yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was just I was just thinking. You know how what is what is something that from a young age can prevent or you know help. Um, bolster that, that strength. Um, I can think the more you talk about yeah. trust, the more I can think about a, a dozen things that pop into my mind of like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Like, no, like not trusting yourself, not trusting your instincts that puts you in situations that you start to, like you said, normalize or accept yeah. as, as this is what it is, you know? And,
2: and I think, you know, something else that, um, my husband, and I talk a lot about is wanting to make sure that, um, when we praise our kid, Uh, that we're not focusing on, like, yeah, appearance or achievement. So rather than saying, like, oh, my gosh, you're so handsome, or oh, my gosh, you're so pretty, say things like, oh, wow, that was really brave, or that was really kind the way you did that, or that's such a creative idea that you had, like trying to help them understand that their value comes from who they are and the skills that they build um, and their character and really trying to emphasize that early on so that later on, you know, if somebody does Mm -hmm. say, oh, my gosh, you're such a beautiful little girl, you know, we can turn to them and say, honey, like that's true. You are. And that's Mm. not the most special thing about you. You know, that's, that's a mutable thing, you know, but your bravery, your kindness, your creativity, your compassion, all of your curiosity, like those are the things like, those aren't going to change and leave you as you get older. Like those are things that are part of you. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. We have so many
1: words in the English language and yet we we fall back on on strong, pretty, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like,
2: And it's like, (laughs) I mean, I think that was the other thing. In a weird way, there is like a gift of it, though, of of like growing up in that world, which is that I was aware from like a very early age um, that like you get old and your value, like my ability Mm. to have a profession um, and like, listen, certainly there are some amazing actresses that work their entire lives. So like, right. not, no, no disrespect to Helen Mirren, God knows. She was who I was thinking. Yeah, because she's amazing. Um, but it's just to say that for the majority of actresses, like our value declines over time. And I think that was really alarming to me to be 18 years old and starting theater school and being like, I've got a ticking clock on this thing. Mm-hmm. And that didn't really jive. Again, like there was just some inner knowing that saying, like, I don't think that I stop having value when my body stops looking like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, just trying to trying to find ways to, and, you know, not just for the sake of a kid, but that's something that that Jake and I talk about a lot. Like, what's the family culture that we want to create now for ourselves? Like, mm-hmm. I love him so much. I want to give him that same feeling of belonging and worthiness and love right. for who he is as a person. Like. I mean, I think my husband's a smoke show, but that's not why I love him. (laughs) I'm allowed to say it. I'm having his baby. Um, (laughs) But it's so important to me that he knows that, like, that's not why I love him. That's not why I fell in love with him, Mm. right? Um, Like, that's just a great cherry on top. Um, And that's just something that it's, you know, whoever is in our family, that's how I want them to feel. And was yeah. ever just somebody in my life that I that I love and care for? That's how I want them to feel that like they're accepted for who they are. Yeah.
1: Before I let you go, I want to go back briefly, and we'll we'll put it in that section. But I wanted to ask you about guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, when you decided, or when you when it was decided for you that you were no longer working in this environment or this series, or you know, and and you kind of made that decision to leave, did you feel guilt? Um, at any point in leaving, I, I'd say that because when I kind of decided to kick back on the acting, because it for me, in more from a you know stage and tour, but it was it was eroding myself. I felt that, mm-hmm. and I felt that lack of trust, and I completely identify with that. And um, I felt guilt mm-hmm. for making a different choice, like for moving, for changing careers, or going back to a previous career, like. I felt guilt. Did you feel guilt when that started to change for you when you realized, uh,
2: you know, because if question. your
1: value, if you're, if you're saying that your value is mm. sort of instilled at you and that you're performing, and, and will now here you are, not doing those things, and if there yeah. you do them not by choice, like, do you feel the guilt? Is there guilt that comes with that?
2: That's a great question. I, the thing that's coming up for me is you keep saying the word guilt is is actually shame. Mm. Um. I think this feeling of like, oh, I failed. I worked my whole life for this thing and I'm a failure. Um, and just say, yeah, that sense of like embarrassment and, and deep shame around it, I think yeah. was something that was hard to swallow, honestly. And really, really hard to sort of stand strong and say, this isn't a failure. This is a choice um, that I'm making for myself. Kind of for the first time in my life, really, I'm making a really big choice that is just for my health and well-being, and not for like, outside perception of what success looks like exactly um there it was interesting too because i think um as i was like sharing with colleagues and and friends that were in the industry as well at, around that time um i was like hesitant to say that i had moved i was i i kept phrasing it like oh it's temporary it's temporary you know i'm just taking some time off
0: mm-hmm. it took me
2: a, it took me a while to really own the fact that i'm like no i've made this change this is this is a shift for me um, and it's a good thing yeah you know, I think there was this sense of like, oh, you gave up. Oh, you know, and I, to be honest, no one actually said that to me. That was just something that I put on myself. So I, I have to own that piece. Um, but yeah, there was, yeah, man, it's so pervasive. Phrase, <laughs>
1: that phrase, you gave up because it's, oh man, that's a like, whole other did, conversation. But well, yeah, being, a New York actor, up, exactly, being in New York, exactly. <laughs> being in New York and being based there and mm. then having this perception of like, okay, if I don't, stick this out. If I don't make, you know, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What am
2: I sticking out? I'm miserable. I'm I'm so unhappy and unhealthy.
1: For who, like whose validation are you seeking? Thank you. you. Exactly.
2: And that's been a huge thing that I work on still to this day as well as like really unlearning those old like people pleasing behaviors around it as well. And just to say, People might judge me. I don't know. Maybe they're too polite to say it, but maybe they do. Um, Maybe there's like lots of, there's so many perceptions that I can't control, which I hate. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I look around, I'm like, I love my life now. And this would never have been possible if I was just railroading myself into making the same unhealthy choices. Um, It wasn't going anywhere good. It didn't matter what happened in my career. It didn't matter how successful I might have looked to other people or not. Right. I was so unhappy and my health was really suffering for that. So,
1: Yeah. And it's hard to, yeah. do you, Do you think it's hard to, um, have you returned to a place of like love and warm fuzzies for acting? Or do you, is there still oh. some, is there there's, still like the,
2: There's some nostalgia for sure. I think like, here's what's great is um, I've learned how to just like go to the movies again because I love it. Mm. Um, and there's something that's just like so good about it. Like I love going to like an actual like movie theater and getting the, the trash popcorn and um and just remembering like, oh, this is actually why I started doing this in the first place. Like right. I love going to see shows. I love going to see movies.
1: Um, right, you love telling stories and you love being a part yeah, of it. Yeah,
2: exactly. Sharing and connecting with
1: people and all those beautiful things. Yeah.
2: yeah, and to be honest, there's definitely some, sometimes like a bittersweet nostalgia of like, and I actually loved acting. And I I love it as a craft in and of itself. I think something that I'm working on currently now is trying to reconnect with my creativity and accept that it's going to probably look different. Like that that sense of creativity, I was so locked into identity as an actor, as a professional actor. What does that look like now? Maybe it looks like, you know, writing or writing a song on my guitar, but it's like just for me and it's not to like Mm -hmm. perform it or put it on a resume or anything like that. Right.
1: Or Um, yeah, just don't, yeah, you're not paid. Just because you're not paid for it, you know?
2: Um, yeah.
1: I was gonna ask you too, because because I don't I don't want it to sound like we're you know <laughs> I'm not gonna control how we sound, but I don't I have so many actor friends that are successful and happy and having great careers. Oh yeah. Um, good for them. Yeah, like, good for you. <laughs> good um, for you. Well, that's amazing. But yeah, I don't want it to I don't wanna say that it's the it's for everyone, but it is I think it's important to note that it's what you're describing, you can take out of your, your story sure. and plug it into so many others. Like, oh my gosh. It, it happens to such-
2: so many people across any industry. I think my personal experience was in film and. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know. And again, I, go- I feel the same way as just like that's uh, my friends that are like thriving in that industry and really love it. And like, I genuinely, and here's how I know I made the right decision for me is because I am so happy for them. I'm so happy for them to say, you found the thing that is the right fit for you. You didn't have these adverse experiences. Or if you did, you had different tools and it works for you. I love that. And on the flip side of the coin, like in any industry, in any situation, like people can experience those same feelings that we did.
1: Exactly. So last question, how would you tell if someone is wanting to, someone is feeling the shame, someone's feeling you know this intense shame and they can they're aware enough to know that their mental health is not optimal and they would like to make a change but they're yeah. terrified or they feel if they're if they're able to make a change first they have that privilege in the beginning but what if someone's paralyzed and doesn't mm-hmm. feel like they can push past, push past that shame what yeah. advice would you would you give them
2: something a tool that was really helpful for me was and it can be yourself or somebody else but i think like imagining that you're talking to like a little kid so either like the younger version of you or just like a kid in your life that like you really love and care about like would you look at a three-year-old and say like you know you're too old you're not good enough you're not worthy you don't deserve love you know like you would mm, never probably would never. <laughs> like you, you would, would never wait. <laughs> no. um, but I, for me, that was oh. a really, really helpful tool to imagine. Like when I started becoming really aware of those, um, those thoughts and feelings that were keeping me feeling stuck and feeling paralyzed, I would imagine like, would I say those same things to you know? For some people, I think a, t- a tool is like, would you say that to a friend? Would you say that to someone you love? For me, it right. was like I needed to go a little bit deeper and be like, right. would I say that to like my niece? Exactly. I would never. I would say, oh my god, you're so perfect the way that you are, and you can do this. And you know, and I think like finding those ways to change the self-talk, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be helpful to externalize and say, like, what I say that to somebody that I love, what I say that to the younger version of myself. And I started to realize I'm like, oh my gosh, if I was talking to the six year old right. version of myself, like I'd give that girl a fucking hug.
1: Exactly. You know? <laughs> isn't that isn't that perspective? That's so interesting. I like that you said that. That's great advice. Cause you're you're like, take you're coming out, you have to come out of yourself mm-hmm. and out of your out of your brain and like you said, and change the self-talk to um, yeah. Isn't that interesting? You, you'd say, I would never, I would never at- tell you to stay in this so why, toxic,
2: why, why am I are we not it? worthy of saying it to ourselves? Why are we not worthy of that same love and care? Um, just in, in such a basic way saying, I need to, even if you can't make the change right now, because I've been right. there too, right? right? Maybe today you can't walk out of your job today, but mm-hmm. can you start to think about how do I make a plan to exit that situation? How do I make right. a plan for how to leave that relationship? It's okay if today is not the day that you can take the action, but today is the day that you can start thinking of what are the steps I'd like to take. And I think just even those small micro steps start to build that sense of self-trust to say, oh, I can do this. I do know how I would do it. I know it's like, like I have a way out. And that's been <laughs> the biggest thing, seriously, going from feeling powerless and like, I don't have any agency into saying like, I have a voice in the things that are happening in my life right now.
1: I love that. Lindsay, thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next time. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye.
0: This is Unsilent. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was hosted by Lance Alone and produced by me, Eli Lawson, Lance, John Panicucci, and the rest of the incredible No Stigmas marketing team. Special thanks to Lindsay for sharing her story this week and courageously diving in to vulnerable places. To go beyond the show, connect with us on social media or visit nostigmas.org to learn more about mental health topics. Please leave us a five-star review and share with others wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. New episodes of Unsilent come out every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Finally, remember that whatever you're going through, you don't have to do it alone. Be unsilent. We'll see you next week.